All right, let's get our Bibles turned to Acts chapter number 16. Let's start into the next chapter here. Acts chapter 16. We are going to we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse number 10 uh, this evening. Just basically two primary subjects we want to look at. Uh, hopefully it won't be here very long. I can't, I can't be too short because if I'm too short, then uh, y'all get too used to it. And then when I preach normal, you'll think it's long. Brother, you know I'm sensitive about that. Didn't I preach on resentment and bitterness this morning? I'm telling you. I told you. And he's, he's alone this, this, morning, this evening. He don't even have Brother Burgess here to egg him on. I'm telling you. Trouble. All right. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. This is now Paul and Silas. Okay? And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters. For they all knew, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them to decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Verse number five is just is like a little prod, isn't it? A little stick in us. A little stick in us. There were people that were being saved every day in these churches. Just reading it. That's, it's convicting. Now, I know, I know people, people being converted is not wholly our responsibility. But it is part our responsibility, is it not? It is to tell people to share the gospel both individually and corporately together in, organi- in an organized fashion. And we try to do that, but maybe that should just be a prayer going forward. Lord, do something like this among us. Verse 6, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy, Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not two times. The Spirit of God said no. All right? And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia pray, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. All right, let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for your word here, uh, this, this before us. We pray and we ask you to bless your, the study of your word here tonight, both to our hearts, Lord, and uh, Lord, to our lives and the decisions we make. I pray that you'd give us a greater and deeper understanding of your purposes 
and uh, your will and your ways. Lord, as we look at these things, these great things you did in the life of Timothy and then the, the ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy, Lord, we just want to thank you for what you did uh, because these things have rippled and have, uh, have affected and influenced us right down to this very moment. Thank you for what you did among them. Lord, help us to understand your word tonight and uh, get, a, get a blessing and encouragement from it. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Here you have Paul returning back to that city where he was stoned, apparently to death, <laughs> uh, Lystra, and uh, where he had so many bad things happen, he, he just returns right back to it, and it shows a, a lot of, the, you know, a lot of what, we were, what we were talking about this morning, how, serious, how seriously he took the ministry that God had given him. And he was, he was going to die getting back to those churches. I mean, nothing was going to stop him, even if that meant he, he, was, not, he was apparently not afraid. Maybe he was afraid. There were times that he was afraid. But, uh, but Paul took the ministry seriously. And as we read through this, especially when you get to the Macedonian call, he meets Timothy, which we'll see in a minute. You just... You, as you keep reading through here, you just can't say, "All right, well, the issue we had with Barnabas was was mistaken." You know, he should have just agreed with Barnabas and taken Mark. He shouldn't have taken sight. You know, you can't because you look at the fruit of his of that that issue, and there is no question but the God was in that. I mean, there is no question but God was in that. So you get to chapter sixteen, and the Lord is doing in chapter sixteen exactly what He had been doing in chapter thirteen and fourteen when Paul and Barnabas are on the mission field together. So this is one of the reasons you can look back in retrospect and say, "Well, whatever happened with Paul and Barnabas, we'll leave that to the Lord, and they're both going to go on and serve God." Now we don't hear from Barnabas anymore in the Scripture, but that doesn't mean that Barnabas you know, fell out of God's will and wasn't serving, serving God. It's just that he wasn't where God's, uh, you know, the focus for the Scripture's purpose was. So, so you, you have uh, Paul's returning to Derby and Lystra, and out of that place where persecution first had, or, or had arisen, where it, it got to uh, kind of a, a climactic point where Paul was actually, actually stoned. It was one of the worst moments of persecution Paul endured. Here we, he finds... Timothy. He comes upon a disciple named Timothy. What's, interested, what's interesting in this is in chapter 16, you meet Lydia, who's a seller of purple. Lydia gets saved through the ministry of Paul. You meet the Philippian jailer. He comes into the jail after the earthquake. I mentioned this morning, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And at that, uh, he goes back to his house and explains the gospel to him, and the Philippian jailer and his family also receive Christ. So, you have these things that are happening in chapter 16, and, and, and this is relevant to our current situation in our church, is there's no record of Timothy getting saved. Now, he, we know he did get saved. Obviously, he wouldn't be where he is at this moment unless he's saved, but Timothy came from a different kind of family, a different kind of background, as we'll see. And although the Bible doesn't say, the, the Bible doesn't go out of its way to say when Timothy trusted in Christ... I think we can safely assume it was probably when he was young, right? And, uh, and so it, it, it should give a little bit of comfort because there are a lot of people. Listen, this, and, and this message tonight is going to touch on some of these matters, but there are a lot of people that come up in Christian families that struggle with those questions when they actually trusted in Christ because they are, there's a, 
This something that they have known from their earliest memory, the facts of the gospel. And it wasn't like that with me, but I didn't come up in a Christian family. But it is like that a lot of times with, with kids who have come up in a, a Christian family. And you know what? Listen, that's a te- if, that, if you struggle with that, with knowing the exact time that you trusted in Christ, of course, we know every person that gets saved gets saved in a moment of time. It's not a gradual process. It's a miracle of a moment. But if you struggle with knowing that moment, then, then just remember that that is an indication of the way you were brought up. That reminds you that you were brought up knowing the most important message that, had ever, that has ever been given or known to man. It is something that is a part of your mind and heart at its very deepest core. You know what? You, you might have struggles with those little things, but it's actually an indicator of, of, a, of, a, of a huge advantage that you have versus people that... that did not have that advantage of hearing the gospel. And so, of course, and those of us that are raising our children are trying to raise our children to know the gospel from their earliest earliest, uh, years, right? And to be familiar with it. Not to confuse them, obviously, but to help them to to live a full life for the Lord. So here you have Timothy. Uh, The Bible says he was a certain... At this moment, he's already a disciple. He's already grown. He's already ready to go to the mission field because Paul (laughs) takes him with him in the next verse, uh, verse 3 rather. And uh, he says he was the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So you see this contrast. So apparently his mother was a believer and she was a Jew, but his father was a Greek. He was not a Jew. So there's an issue there. And then... And then you see that, uh, that being the, fa- the fact of his father being a Greek is contrasted with his uh, mother being a believer. So we assume from that that he was, his father was not a believer. Now it could very well be that Timothy's father died early, earlier in his life and he, never, he didn't grow up with a father uh, in that way. I, I have no idea. It could be his mom raised, he and his, his mother and his grandmother raised him without a father. I don't know. But... We have very little information, but what information we do have, let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at that real quick, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll come back to Acts in just a minute. The Bible says this. Paul says to Timothy, verse 4, or Verse 3, rather, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance, listen now, the unfeigned, that means, that means genuine and sincere. To feign means to fake. So unfeigned means sincere and genuine. The unfeigned faith that is in thee, which, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now notice that he had unfeigned faith. Notice something about Timothy's faith, though. Notice his faith. In verse 5 it says, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which... What is that referring to? 
which references what? Say again. The faith, but whose faith? Timothy's faith, right? That's in the first part. The unfeigned faith that is in thee, that's Timothy. Timothy's faith, which, Timothy's faith, dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That means Timothy's faith, following the grammar, Timothy's faith did not just appear in Timothy. Timothy's faith came through two other people. It came through his grandmother and through his mother and to himself. So Timothy's faith was not actually just his faith. It was, it was a faith that had been passed down. Now, I know you can't pass down faith in, in, the, in the sense of, you know, nobody is born, uh, nobody is born a, as a Christian into a Christian family. That's not how it works. But the, but the idea is that they had faith and the faith that they had became his faith. Now, look at chapter number three, if you would. Verse number 14. The Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now we assume that's a reference to Paul, but it could just as easily be a reference to his, mo his mother and grandmother. All right? Verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So here, Timothy, without a father that is, at a minimum, without a father, father that is encouraging and influencing him in his faith, yet he has a mother and a grandmother who, are, who, are, who have taught him, verse 15, the holy scriptures from a child. All right, so Timothy... Whatever his family situation was, his mother and his grandmother put the effort and time in to, to instruct Timothy in the Scriptures from a child. Okay. Now, what do we learn from Timothy? What do we, now, before I, before I answer this, but before I go into this, a few points on this, I want to I ask you a question. I want you to think with me a little bit. Now, in, in Acts 16, it says that Timothy's mother was a Jewess and, and a believer. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says that his mother and his grandmother both had unfeigned faith, sincere and genuine faith. Okay, you, but you're with me? Why is his mom having a baby with a Greek? Does that strike you as odd? Especially a Greek who is apparently an unbeliever. Now, he didn't. He wasn't. He didn't start out a believer and then and then got lost. <laughs> so we know that didn't happen. So what happened? I don't know. It kind of to me. I'm I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I think I think there's evidence to say that it looks kind of mucky. Looks kind of mucky, doesn't it? It looks like again. I'm. I'm reading between the lines, but it looks like perhaps that, uh, that Lois, Timothy's grandmother, Eunice's mother, was a believer. And then maybe, maybe Eunice, Timothy's mother, had a, a bad stage in her life. Maybe out of some pressure, maybe out of some temptation, maybe got married to this man who, who was, wasn't a Jew, 
who had different, a, a completely different set of values. And maybe it was even before Lois had been a, become a believer as an adult. I don't know. But whatever happens, there's this, really, a marriage, this unequal yoke. Because the Bible does say that if a believer should marry an, uh, a believer should marry a believer, right? So you have this weird situation where you have a mom and a dad who do not have the same value system, apparently. They're of a different ethnic group, which I, I know that's not a matter of sin, but generally the Jews are going to marry the Jews, right? So you have this going on. And Timothy's in the mix of it. And of course, by the time you get to 2 Timothy, and by the time you get to Acts chapter 16, uh, uh, Eunice, his mother, is already living for God. She's a believer. You know, she's, she's trying to raise Timothy right or what, whatnot. Whatever has happened in the past is in the past. But here's what I want you to see about Timothy. Is Timothy lived through that. Whatever's there, Timothy lived through that. He came out of that. Here's what I want us to understand is, The first lesson we learned from Timothy is this. Usefulness to God has nothing to do with pedigree. Usefulness to God has nothing to do with pedigree. See, Timothy didn't have a good pedigree. He had a mom and a a grandmother that loved God, and he had a dad who was, you know, I'm stretching, and I admit I'm I'm being stretching a little bit, but a deadbeat. That's basically what he has. You see, Timothy came, most likely came from a messed up home situation where his parents were not in agreement about his faith. But whatever his mother did to bring her into a situation like this, maybe whether it be a period of rebellion or whatnot, who knows? But God delights to take that which is weak and feeble and broken and to bring him glory. Even a broken home situation. He does that all the time. He he delights to do that. He delights to do that. Hold your place here really quick, and uh, you can leave 2 Timothy. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. These verses here in 1 Corinthians state a principle by which the Lord often works. Chapter 1, verse 26 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. You know, you think of Joseph and Mary, you know, uh, there, there's an indication, and in, I think in the book of John, where the Jews say to Jesus, we be not born of fornication. And there's a, a slight hint that they're jabbing the Lord that, you know, that, that Joseph and Mary had, you know, committed sin to produce, you know, Jesus, not, of course, not believing in uh, the virgin birth. And here, Timothy, you know, he does, he's not nobility. He's not, he can't trace his lineage back. He's a mixed breed. He would not be accepted by the Jews because he's, his father was not a Jew but his mother was. 
And uh, so, so Timothy's in a weird situation, a weird home situation, but God doesn't care about that. <laughs> God, just like this morning, God takes messed up things and he makes good out of it so that nobody can say, I am this way because of X, Y, and Z that I did or they did. God, God brings out, just like he spoke light out of darkness in Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, so he speaks life out of death. He speaks order out of chaos in a family, does he not? He brings godliness out of wickedness in a family. He does it. And I want to give you a little warning here. There are many, listen out, there are many kids from good Christian families who make a grave mistake because they presume upon their pedigree. They call them PKs or MKs, preacher's kids, pastor's kids, missionary kids. And they think that because they're in that, that they have that pedigree, where they have a good mom and a good dad and they, who trying to live for God and all that, they presume that it's not as, that the, the requirements to live for and walk with God are not as strict upon them as upon others because of their pedigree. That is wrong. That is wrong. That is dead wrong. You and I have both observed where preacher's kids and, and, and the ones that have the pedigree go off the rails. It happens all the time. All the time. So let, let, let that be a warning. This is not where Timothy was from, but let, let those who are, that do come up in a godly family, take heed. Take heed. The second lesson we learn from Timothy is this. Even in less than ideal circumstances, and this is, an, you know, this marriage situation is not ideal. You know, we don't look at uh, mess up homes and broken homes and stuff. They're not ideal. They're not supposed to be set up as the standard. You look at, at the, uh, the scriptural requirements for a bishop of a church, right? Those are supposed to set a standard, right? An example for people to follow, to people to see, Right? But that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean we set that up as an ideal because that's what the Lord ordained from the beginning. But we acknowledge that sin messes stuff up and God will still use it. Even in less than ideal circumstances, God uses the efforts of those that are faithful to Him for His glory. So the Lord used, listen now, the example and the faith of Lois and Eunice. In Timothy's life, whatever effort they put forth in serving the Lord, even in the midst of a bad situation, the Lord used it. You, I mean, and this is, the Bible is filled with examples. I'll give you just one. Who was Solomon's mother? <laughs> That's just one example to represent all of them. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. I mean, he became one of the greatest, the wisest man. All these, you know, all these accolades and all these things, characteristics about Solomon. But where did it? It started with a messed up situation, a messed up situation. And the truth is, the only way. Listen now, the only way that God can use any of us is if He uses a less than ideal situation. The only way God can use any of us is that He is willing to condescend to use messed up people. 
even those that come from Christian families. You listen to children? <laughs> All of us are less than ideal. The Lord has to stoop to use every one of us and has to, he has to, if I, if I can use this term lightly, he has to span the gap, <laughs> a, bit, a huge gap for every one of us. He is using us despite us because he has chosen to save sinners. Third thing we see from Timothy is this. We saw it in 2 Timothy 1.5 that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Here's what we found. The scriptures and godly examples are what make the difference. Even in a messed up situation. What made the difference, as far as we know, for, from Timothy? He had two things. He had his mom and his grandma, grandmother, his mom and his grandma, are giving him the Scripture, teaching him what God says. And his mother and his grandmother are exhibiting an unfeigned faith that he sees. That's the Bible, and that's a, a, a life that is evident, that is obviously lived by faith before Timothy. This is what the means God used to bring Timothy up to where he is. It's amazing. And you know what? Anybody can have that. You don't have to have an ideal family situation to have that, right? Anybody can do that. A single mom, a single grandmother, a grandmother raising the raising a granddaughter, a grandson. You can, anybody can do that. Grandma and grandpa, father, grandfather, whatever the case might be, messed up situation though it may be, Anybody that has faith and has a Bible can influence those under them, those, those children, those grandchildren at home for, for, good, for, for godly things. And it can turn out really good, really good. But let there be a, another warning to those Christian families. And listen, I mean, our family, I mean, it's the poster child of the Christian family, right? The missionary, all the kids, you know, all that stuff. I'm saying this as much to us as anybody else. Sometimes in Christian fam there are Christian families that due to their status and their pedigree, listen now, because they have some sort of status, right, as a Christian family, they have some sort of pedigree, they let faith, a life lived by faith, and they let the Scripture fall by the wayside in the family. Well, you know, I mean, they go to church all the time. There's a great deal of presumption on the part of the parents that their children will turn out right. After all, they're preacher's kids. That's not how it works. That is absolutely not how it works. Beware. Beware. So sometimes the Christian families make little effort to bring their children up in the ways of God. What a shame. I'll not be that way. I'll not be that way. Because God can just as readily use a godly family and a, Christ, a Christian family, a family that's cohesive and has mom and dad and all that. He can, he can just as readily use that as he can a broken family. Those ingredients are there, just like Timothy's. And think, even out of a messed up situation, you have Timothy. And this is what the Bible says about Timothy. Timothy is called Paul's beloved son. Timothy is called Paul's work fellow. He's called a minister of God. I'll give you those. The first one, I'll give you the references in case you want them. 
Beloved son in 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Romans 16, 21 says he's Paul's work fellow. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, he's called a minister of God. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, again, he's called a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. This is Timothy now. In Philippians 2, 20, he is uniquely like-minded with Paul and a natural minister and servant to God's people. Let's just, Paul says, I have no man like-minded. In Philippians 2.20, he says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Listen, if you and I want our kids to live as Christians naturally, now here's what I mean by that. You got to bring them up in the Word. That has to be second nature to them. And that's what, that's what had happened with Timothy. You see, living for God was just second nature to Timothy. He naturally served God. Why? Because unlike me, and I'll just be honest with you and transparent, I'm not that way. If I'm going to live for God, I have to try. <laughs> I'm just that wicked. And some of you, other, some of you in here are, just, are the same way too. It doesn't come easy. Because I have a lot of world and wicked and all that other stuff in, in my past. And so I have to push. And if I don't, well, I go back to what's natural, and it's not good, <laughs> which is not good. But your children, if they're raised right, man, they, they learn to live for God as a, as a matter of second nature. And that's what happened with Timothy. Timothy was fully acquainted with every part of Paul's life and ministry in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, Timothy is called Paul's own son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 6, 11, Timothy is called a man of God. Now, I know sometimes that word is, has been abused in, our, in recent years. You know, the, they have an acronym, the M-O-G these days, and they mock that term and all that kind of stuff. But really, biblically speaking, the man of God is a high honor because Paul, being the apostle of Jesus Christ, right, the apostle to the Gentiles, called directly by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus, right? Equal with Peter and James and John and all those, Paul calls Timothy that. The, the younger, he calls him that, which is a prophetic title. It's what Elijah was called. It's amazing. In other words, he is equa he's essentially equating Timothy and his office with Elijah. I mean, that's a high honor. And this is all from a, a man that came out of a messed up home. He says this, um, Timothy endured prison for Christ's sake, Hebrews 13, verse 23. Timothy was a younger man, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Timothy was often ill in 1 Timothy 5, 23. Timothy prayed for Paul with tears, 2 Timothy 1, 4. Timothy had, as we've seen, unfeigned faith in 2 Timothy 1.5. And Timothy knew the Scriptures from a child in 2 Timothy 3.15. Not only that, Timothy is mentioned by Paul as one of the co-authors of 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. It doesn't just say Paul the Apostle. It says Paul, Timothy, Silas, etc., 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 to the church. That's how it's, it's authored. And two epistles we know are written directly to Timothy. I would say this man, who, however he started out, God so blessed his life and ministry, 
that he rose to a place of prominence in the New Testament. And you know what? From a human perspective, the person he had to thank, thank is his mom and grandmother. His mom and grandmother. It's amazing. The Lord uses small things. He uses what seems to be insignificant. Now go back to Acts 16, and we'll wrap this up with our second point here. In Acts 16, verse number, um, verse number 3, the Bible says, Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now here's a little bit of trivia, a little bit of review to question from what we studied last week. Timothy was not a Jew. His, he was only part Jew, his, and because of his father's lineage, he would have been counted a Gentile, right? Was Timothy required to get circumcised? No. Then why did he? He did it voluntarily. He did it voluntarily. Despite his freedom, that's, this is Acts 15, right? Despite his freedom, he voluntarily submitted to this for the sake of the gospel. Because Paul knew if he was traveling with somebody that was half Jew and half Gentile, and he did not have the, as you might say, the full characteristic of a proselyte who had become a Jew, he would have problems with the Jews. And he was willing to do that. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean it's, just, it's just like, th this is a, a high price to pay, and this is the price he pays. It shows a lot about the man. Verse 4, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, I give that a minute to warm up. Now, let's read the next few verses. Now, when, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through out Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. All right. Is it on yet? All right. Ew. Now we can use our cool light feature, right? All right. So we're going to do a little geography lesson because there's significance in this. In fact, this, at this moment, is a turning point in all of world history, right here. Turning point, not only in the gospel's history, but in all of world history. So this is a picture. Here's uh, Israel that would be down here. This right here is Antioch in Syria, north of Israel, as you can see. All right. So this is all modern-day Turkey, right? All modern-day Turkey. So the Bible says in verse 6 that they went to... They went throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia. Okay, so Paul is in Antioch. Remember, he once Barnabas went to Cyprus, uh, Paul went to, he took Silas and he went into Cilicia, where his hometown was at Tarsus, right there. And they traveled throughout Cilicia, and uh, Lystra and Derby is in this region right here. 
And then I could actually point it more like that. That'd be easier. <laughs> so they were in this area right here. And that's where they met, met Timothy, where he lived. Okay. So they can, Paul is trying to figure out where God wants him to go. Okay. And you notice you get, as you read these few verses, you get this sense that he doesn't really know where to go because he's going from place to place. Unlike what we read in chapter 13 and 14. So they're here. They travel up through Galatia. And then they go this direction toward Mysia. And then they stop there. And in verse number six, it says they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, where's Asia? You say Asia's way over here, <laughs> right? Now, that's modern Asia. But in, but in this passage, Asia refers to a Roman province that was right here. This was all a Roman province called Asia. So Paul's thinking, I, I'm in this area, so I want to go down here. Now, what's down here? This is where Ephesus is, and Laodicea, and Smyrna. Smyrna's right there. You can't, I know you can't see all the, all the, the writing here, but it's, Ephesus is right there on the coast, right there. Sardis is right there. Those should be familiar. Thyatira is right there. These are the letters to the seven churches in Asia, Okay. So this is where he's thinking of going. And the Spirit, verse number 6, the Spirit says, no. Okay? So verse 7 says, after they were coming to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. Bithynia is right. So they're in this general area. And he said, okay, well, I can't go down here. So maybe the Lord wants me to go up here by the Black Sea. And the Bible says in verse 7, what? The Spirit suffered them not. So two times the Spirit of God said, no, no. Here's what I want you to pick up from what Paul's doing. He's trying. Paul's not stationary trying to do the will of God. He is no doubt praying about God, praying for God's direction, but he's praying for God's direction while he's moving, Amen. while he's trying to do something. He's not stationary saying, God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to do to the best of my knowledge what you have sent me to do and I'm going to walk and if there's somewhere you don't want me to go, then you just, you just tell me no. And God did twice. <laughs> he, the Bible says he essayed to go into Pithynia. You know what that means? That means he tried. He intended on going ahead and going this direction, even though God hadn't directly like, revealed it to him. You know why? Because he's trying to do the will of God the best he knows how and waiting for God to give him clear direction. There's an old saying I, I think is good at this point, which is this. God steers moving things. Whenever you want to do the will of God, if you're sitting stationary and idle, don't expect Him to lead you. He's going to lead you when you move. He's going to lead you when you attempt to do what you know you should do. And it's better to be on the move doing what God wants you to do, even though you might not have a clear understanding what that is. It's better... You like my screensaver? It's better to be on the move and God to give you corrections than it is for you to sit still expecting God to tell you what to do. So here he is, and then look at verse number, uh, verse number 8. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. All right, so there in this general area, they go past Mysia and come to Troas, to that port city right there on the Aegean Sea. Now, let me 
flip my thing here. This is where Paul had the Macedonian vision. This is, a, this is why I was trying to tell you that the, this province here is the province of Asia. That just shows you that. Okay, and then we get to this. So, so Paul is at Troas, and in verse numbers 9 and 10, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So at the Macedonian call... Paul gets on a ship and he immediately crosses the Aegean and goes into the main city in Macedonia. Now, this section here is the province of Macedonia. It's in what's in modern-day Greece, okay? And down here is the province of Corinth. I'm sorry, the province of Achaia, right here. This one decision totally changed the direction of the history of the world. Here's what I mean. Had Paul went east, had Paul went east, it would have been a, there would have been a completely different, the, the, the history of the world would have been completely different. But because he went west into Greece, what was Macedonia and Achaia, you have Philippi. You have Thessalonica. And actually, by the way, this coming, uh, this missions conference, we're having a missionary to Thessaloniki. He's, he's a missionary to Thessaloniki that'll be with us. Uh, but you have Berea. You have Corinth. You have these other Athens is here. All these significant places that Paul brought the gospel to them. But what's happening is because the shift was, the, the shift was in your perspective, eastward, the gospel continued to go east. It went to Rome. And it went past Rome. It went to Spain. And it went to France. And it went to Germany. And it went up into the British Isles. Why? Because God said, go here, not here. That was it. You know, I think of the verse that says, I will guide thee with mine eye. God just basically went just like that. And that one thing, is the reason we have the gospel right now in Greenville, South Carolina. Because through a series of, of eastward movements of, the, of, the, of the, the word of God, the gospel got to, to what, what is most of our, in, in this room at least, most of our uh, ancestors in whether you're, whether you're of French descent or you're of British descent or Irish descent or Scottish descent or whatever the case might be, the gospel got to the British Isles, to Germany, and that, that area of the world, and then it was brought over into, the, into what would be the United States. That, and the difference is this. Had, had the Lord allowed Paul to go west? I'm sorry, did I get that wrong? Yeah, yeah. I was wondering why y'all looking at me funny. The Lord sent it west. Had the Lord sent it east... Had the Lord sent it east, then that would have, then the gospel would have gone toward Asia and India and in that direction. But that just wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's time. He had a plan. And this is why we look at this and we say, 
we say now you, you look at the way the gospel has gone. It's gone west. All right, look like this. Here we go. That, that one won't get confused. It went west and west and west and west. Got to the British Isles through all those revivals. It went over to what is now the United States. And now the United States, listen now, has sent missionaries to the east. And now the gospel has gotten to the Philippines. And it's going, it continues to go west. It's just, a, the Lord's behind this thing. The Lord is behind this thing. I mean, Western culture has been exported to all parts of the world. Now, I know Western culture is not all good, but there are aspects of Western culture that are, that are founded in biblical truth that those things have been exported. To, and it's affected not only the religious scene, but it's affected, it's affected human welfare in a huge way and far more than, than we can sit here and talk about tonight. All because of, listen, one guy is <laughs> trying to follow the Lord, didn't have peace about where he was going, trying to do the right thing, and he waited on the Lord to give him direction. That's what it's about. It, it was that significant. It's amazing. Now to close, notice in verse 10, this is the last thing we'll see. Verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed to him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. You notice any change in that verse compared to the verses prior? Anybody want to take a stab at it? There's a slight change in that verse. It's the we. It's the we. You know why? Because Luke is with them at this point, who is the writer of Acts. So the writer is now with Paul, starting at this place in Troas when they go from into, uh, into Greece. And so the, the pronouns change. Pronouns, that's rather, that's rather contemporary, isn't it? <laughs> But anyway, Luke is, Luke is present now, and so that's why that little change takes place. All right, let's pray together.